This is ARN. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your Squirrel, the host, coming to you from the ARN Studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. Good to have you with us. It is Friday. Yes, we are sailing into the weekend. Uh, looking forward to uh, church on Sunday. Got uh, plans with family tonight. Gonna Gonna go out to the Western Montana Fair in Missoula and cruise the food booths for dinner. That's our plan. <laughs> so looking forward to that. Uh, fair food is overpriced, but oh so tasty. Um, looking forward to a Viking from the Sons of Norway and uh, well, maybe a gyro or, or uh, a couple of places have really good bratwurst. So, uh, you know, I'm going to I'm going to do good. I'm going to avoid the deep fried Twinkies and all of those things that, uh, uh, and if you've never had a Viking, I don't know what they might call them where you are. It's a, uh, the, I've been eating them at the Western Montana Fair since I was a kid. And what they do, it's a Norwegian meatball. It's a spicy meatball. And then it's, batter dipped like a corn dog but it's a different batter and so it's a, a meatball on a stick with a batter on it so picture a picture a meatball not an italian meatball it's norwegian meatball so so think more you know the the spice blend of swedish meatballs kind of but it's a big fist-sized meatball dipped in batter and fried and Oh, so tasty! <laughs> a little bit of a little bit of spicy brown mustard on it. Oh, yeah, that's that's what I'm looking forward to for dinner tonight. And then, of course, we got church on Sunday, so the the weekend is upon us, and uh, just a, a joyous time ahead. Except for the poor people in Maui, I've been avoiding the news this week, um, just because it's depressing. And, but I, I got up early this morning, um, earlier than normal, just woke up, started my coffee early and just kind of been, been sitting here and doing some things. And I saw some stuff on Twitter about Maui and I hadn't been following this. I was not aware of the fires on Maui. Uh, apparently some pretty bad wildfires cause unknown. Um, uh, don't know what the. I don't know, as, as Maui's usually a pretty wet island. Um, I wonder if, they're, if they've been having a drought or what. But cause unknown at this point, we don't know. Um, I haven't been following Maui's weather. Um, if they've had a particularly hot, dry summer, I'm not aware of it. Um, like I said, Maui is usually the, when I think of the Hawaiian Islands, and I've never been there. But just what I know from thinking about the Hawaiian Islands, Maui's always what I picture as the the lush rainforest island. Um, and of course, the the big island is the dry uh, cattle country island. It looks like Texas. Um, 
or eastern Montana, but without eastern Montana's snow. Um, but, you know, Maui is the one I always think of as the, the lush jungle island. And so, you know, just thinking about that and, and looking at the, the pictures on Twitter this morning, apparently there's an entire town that's been wiped out that goes back to the 1800s and looking at the pictures, it's just like leveled. Um, I think there are 55 confirmed dead so far and expecting that death toll to rise. Um, one of the, one of the stories that I read was talking about, you know, people trapped in a car in a parking lot and, uh, luckily they were rescued, but, others were not so lucky. So it's a, it's a scary time on the island of Maui. So we need to remember them in prayer. So I have uh, pulled out my 2019 book of common prayer and turned to the occasional prayers. And this is the colic for times of natural disaster. Let us pray. Almighty God, by your word, you laid the foundation of the earth, set the bounds of the sea, and still the wind and the waves. Surround us with your grace and peace, and preserve us, preserve the people of Maui, through this fire. By your spirit, lift up those who have fallen, strengthen those who work to rescue and rebuild, and fill the people of Maui with the hope of your new creation. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So just wanted to, to start out with a prayer for those poor folks and lift them up to the Lord. Um, knowing that God is sovereign and he has a purpose in this. There is a purpose for the fires in Maui. There's a purpose for the deaths. There's a purpose for the rescues. There's a purpose for everything that happens. And that is what gives us peace and allows us to sleep at night, knowing that God is in control and that he has a plan and a purpose and that he is working out his plan and his purpose and that he will be glorified and is for the good of his people, ultimately. I was thinking, um, I can't remember who said it, but, but somebody said it's going it, to, when, when it's all said and done, God will receive more glory from the redemption of a fallen world than he would from a world that has never fallen. It's just one of those truths that we need to understand that everything happens for God's good, for God's glory and the good of his people. And so... You know, he, he is sovereign, and we can rest in that and know that the judge of all the earth will do right and that everything he does will turn out to be right and good and just and perfect. And even though we cannot see it or understand it, we will once we've been redeemed and brought to the Lord in heaven. 
All right, it is Friday, August 11, 2023, and this is Squirrel Chatter, a podcast dedicated to scripture, theology, history, current events, and whatever else I want to talk about. We webcast every Monday through Friday at 7.30 a.m. Mountain on Twitter, Facebook, and Rumble, and then the podcast is available wherever you find fine podcasts. Squirrel Chatter is a proud member of the Christian Podcast Community. Head on over to ChristianPodcastCommunity.com. Check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there. You are certain to find something worth listening to. I guarantee it. What we got coming up today is prayers from the Book of Common Prayer. We have a reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ. And it's Friday, so it's Federalist Friday. We are looking at Federalist number 32 today which means we're still talking about taxation, which is indeed everybody's favorite subject. (laughs) Uh, If I'd have planned this right, we'd be hitting this in April, right? (laughs) All right, well, let's begin, as is our practice, with the prayer of confession from the 2019 Book of Common Prayer. Let us pray. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep, We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done. And we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And apart from your grace, there is no health in us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare all those who confess their faults. Restore all those who are penitent, according to your promises declared to all people in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may now live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Grant to your faithful people, merciful Lord, pardon and peace, that we may be cleansed from all our sins and serve you with a quiet mind. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, now time for our daily readings from the life of Christ. Today's devotional is entitled, Jesus on Vows and Oaths. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Matthew five thirty three through 36 Dr. MacArthur writes, In the regular business of life, people use vows and oaths at marriage ceremonies, in the courtroom, executive oaths of office. Because human nature is prone to lying and distrust, God has provided for the proper use of oaths. See Hebrews 6.16. In describing who may enter God's presence, the psalmist says one requirement is that the person be one who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Psalm 15, 4, uh, cross-reference to Psalm 15, verses 2 and 3. Such a person's word is more important than his or her welfare. God himself has issued oaths in the past, Genesis twenty-two sixteen 16 and 17. See Psalm 89, 3. 89.49, Psalm 110.4, Jeremiah 11.4, Luke 1.73. He did so to impress upon the people the special importance or urgency of a promise. As Hebrews notes, 
Since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. Hebrews 6.13 Christ often used the expression truly or truly truly. See Matthew 5.18, Matthew 5.26, Matthew 6.2, Matthew 6.5, Matthew 6.16, John 1.51, John 3.3, 3, John 3.5, John 5.19, John 5.24. As with the Father's oaths, the Son's use of truly did not make those statements any more trustworthy than any other pronouncement. The truly teachings underscore the importance of certain teachings. Jesus even used an oath before the high priest Caiaphas that he was indeed God's son, Matthew 26, 63, and 64. In view of the special nature of divine oaths, we should make no oaths at all. In other words, no frivolous ones that would compromise our truthfulness and integrity. See Psalm 119, verse 29, Psalm 119, verse 163, and Psalm 120, verse 2. Ask yourself, could your conversation be improved with less embellishment and exaggeration? Can your word stand on its own two feet? That's a good word this morning. All right, as I said, it's Friday, so we're looking at Federalist, Fri Federalist Friday, Federalist number 32, the title of which is, The Same Subject Continued Concerning the General Power of Taxation. From the Daily Advisor, Thursday, January 3rd, 1788, author Alexander Hamilton. To the people of the state of New York, Although I am of the opinion that there would be no real danger of the consequences which seem to be apprehended to the state governments from a power in the Union to control them in the levies of money, because I am persuaded that the sense of the people, the extreme hazard of provoking the resentments of the state governments, and a conviction of the utility and necessity of local administrations for local purposes, would be a complete barrier against the oppressive use of such a power. Yet I am willing here to allow, in its full extent, the justness of the reasoning, which requires that the individual states should possess an independent and uncontrollable authority to raise their own revenues for the supply of their own wants. And making this concession, I affirm that, with the sole exception of duties on imports and exports, they would, under the plan of the convention, retain that authority in the most absolute and unqualified sense and that an attempt on the part of the national government to abridge them in the exercise of it would be a violent assumption of power unwarranted by any article or clause of its constitution. An entire consolidation of the states into one complete national sovereignty would imply an, an entire subordination of the parts, and whatever powers might remain in them would be altogether dependent on the general will. But as the plan of the convention aims only at partial union or consolidation, the state governments would clearly retain all the rights of sovereignty which they had before and which were not, by that act, exclusively delegated to the United States. This exclusive delegation rather than this alienation of state sovereignty would only exist in three cases, where the Constitution in express terms granted an exclusive authority to the Union, 
where it granted in one instance an authority to the Union and in another prohibited it prohibited the states from exercising the like authority, and where it granted an authority to the Union to which a similar authority to the states would be absolute and totally contradictory and repugnant. I use these terms to distinguish this last case from another which might appear to resemble it, but which would, in fact, be essentially different. I mean where the exercise of a concurrent jurisdiction might be productive of occasional interferences in the policy of any branch of administration, but would not imply any direct contradiction or repugnancy in point of constitutional authority. These three cases of exclusive jurisdiction in the federal government may be exemplified by the following instances. The last clause but one in the eighth section of the first article provides expressly that Congress shall exercise exclusive legislation over the district to be apportioned as the seat of government. This answers to the first case. The first clause in the same section empowers Congress to lay and collect duties, taxes, imposts, and excises, and the second clause of the tenth section of the same article declares that no, shates, no state shall, without the consent of Congress, lay any impost or duties on imports or exports, except for the purpose of executing its inspection laws. Hence, would result in exclusive power in the Union to lay duties and exports, duties on imports and exports, with the particular exception mentioned. But this power is abridged by another clause, which declares that no tax or duty shall be laid on articles exported from any state, in consequence of which qualification it now only extends to the duties on imports. This answers to the second case. The third will be found in that clause which declares that Congress shall have power to establish a, a uniform rule of naturalization throughout the United States. This must necessarily be exclusive, because if each state had power to prescribe a distinct rule, there could not be a uniform rule. A case which may perhaps be thought to resemble the latter, but which is in fact widely different, affects the question immediately under consideration. I mean the power of imposing taxes on all articles other than exports and imports. Thus, I contend, is, this, I contend, is manifestly a concurrent and co-equal authority in the United States and in the individual states. There is plainly no expression in the granted clause which makes that power exclusive in the Union. There is no independent clause or sentence which prohibits the states from exercising it. So far, so far is this from being the case that a plain and conclusive argument to the contrary is to be deduced from the restraint laid upon the states in relation to duties on imports and exports. This restriction implies an admission that, if it were not inserted, the states would possess the power it excludes, and it implies a further admission that, as to all other taxes, the authority of the states remains undiminished. In any other view, it would be both unnecessary and dangerous. It would be unnecessary because if the grant to the Union of the power of laying such duties implied the exclusion of the states, or even their subordination in this particular, there could be no need of such a restriction. It would be dangerous because the introduction of it leads directly to the conclusion which has been mentioned and which, if the reasoning of the objectors be just, could not have been intended. 
I mean that the states, in all cases to which the restrictions did not apply, would have a concurrent power of taxation with the Union. The restriction in question amounts to what lawyers call a negative pregnant, that is, a negation of one thing and an affirmation of another. A negation of the authority of the states to impose taxes on imports and exports and an affirmation of their authority to impose them on all other articles. It would be more mere sophistry to argue that it was meant to exclude them absolutely from the imposition of taxes of the former kind and to leave them at liberty to lay others subject to the control of the national legislature. The restraining or prohibitory clause only says that they shall not without the consent of Congress lay such duties. And if we are to understand this in the sense last mentioned, the Constitution would then be made to introduce a formal provision for the sake of a very absurd conclusion, which is that the states, with the consent of the national legislature, might tax imports and exports, and that they might tax every other article unless controlled by the same body. If this was the intention, why not leave it in the first sentence to what is alleged to be the natural operation of the original clause, conferring a general power of taxation upon the Union? It is evident that this could not have been the intention, and that it will not bear a construction of the kind. As to a supposition of repugnancy between the power of taxation in the states and in the Union, it cannot be supported in that sense which would be requisite to work an exclusion of the states. It is indeed possible that a tax might be laid on a particular article by a state which might render it inexpedient, and thus a further tax should be laid on the same article by the Union. But it would not imply a constitutional inability to impose a further tax. The quantity of the imposition, the expediency or inexpediency of an increase on either side, would be mutually, would be mutually questions of prudence would be mutually questions of prudence but there would be involved no direct contradiction of power the particular policy of the national and of the state systems of finance might now and then not exactly coincide and might require reciprocal forbearances it is not however a mere possibility of inconvenience in the exercise of powers but an immediate constitutional repugnancy that can by implication alienate and extinguish a pre-existing right of sovereignty. The necessity of a concurrent jurisdiction in certain cases results from the division of the sovereign powers, and the rule that all authorities of which the states are not explicitly divested in favor of the Union remain with them in full vigor. It is not a theoretical consequence of that division, but is clearly admitted by the whole tenor of the instrument which contains the articles of the Provost Constitution. We there find that, notwithstanding the affirmative grants of general authorities, there has been the most pointed case, most pointed care in those cases where it was deemed improper that the like authorities should reside in the states, to insert negative clauses prohibiting the exercise of them by the states. The tenth section of the first article consists altogether of such provisions. This circumstance is a clear indication of the sense of the convention and furnishes a rule of interpretation out of the body of the act, which justifies the position I have advanced and refutes every hypothesis to the contrary. Publius.
Oh, the vocabulary. <laughs> I apologize for my stumbling this morning. All right, let's now recite our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now the colic for the tenth Sunday after Pentecost. Almighty and merciful God, it is only by your grace that your faithful people offer you true and laudable service. Grant that we may run without stumbling to obtain your heavenly promises. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Now the colic for endurance. Almighty God, whose most dear Son went not up to joy, but first he suffered pain and entered not into glory before he was crucified, mercifully grant that we, walking in the way of the cross, may find it none other than the way of life and peace, through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Now the colic for the unrepentant. Merciful God, you desire not the death of sinners, but rather that they should turn to you and live. And through your only Son, you have revealed yourself as the God who pardons iniquity. Have mercy on the unrepentant and those who do not believe. Awaken in them by your word and Holy Spirit a deep sense of their sinfulness and peril. Take from them all ignorance, hardness of heart, and contempt of your word. Grant them to know and feel that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which they must be saved, but only the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so bring them home and number them among your children, that they may be yours forever, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. All right, folks, that is Squirrel Chatter for today. I bid you the best of weekends. Remember to do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. Go to church on Sunday. We'll see you here on Monday for another episode of Squirrel Chatter. Take care. God bless. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster. What I've said for years now is the best thing you can do as a Christian to live well in this world is find a healthy church and build your life around it. I mean, do what you got to do. I, and I, I agree for people. I say, There's no health, no churches in 100 miles of me. And uh, it's, it's sad. Move. Move. Well, but I got busy. What's more important? You, know, you can have your business over here and lose your children. Or you can move and maybe have to work at a 7-Eleven and help build your life around a healthy church for the welfare of your children.